Well, good morning, Cross Point Church. How's everybody doing this morning? Doing well? Good to see you here this morning. So excited about today. Can you believe that it is only less than two weeks away from Christmas? Uh, how many of you excited about that? How many of you are ready for Christmas? Anybody? All the ladies are ready for Christmas. All the guys are panicking right now. So less than two weeks. Can you believe that? I, I tell you, I, I don't know that I'm ever ready for Christmas, but this year I'm a whole lot more excited about Christmas. I, I just feel like it's just, a, it's just been a wonderful time so far leading up to Christmas, and, and I'm so excited. You know, last year I was just thinking, uh, there was, you know, I was out shopping for Christmas, and, and one of the things I was hoping for uh, around Christmas last year was some, a couple of pairs of new jeans, you know, and so Linnell told me, she said, you should go to the Lucky Outlet, you know, Lucky Jeans Outlet up in and toward Atlanta, and, and stopped by there, they got some really good deals, so I stopped by there, and so I go in, and I tell the lady, I said, I'm looking for some jeans that are less baggy than what I have, and she said, well, what exactly do you mean, and I said, well, I'm just looking for some that have, you know, a skinnier leg, and she says, sir, you can't fit in skinny jeans. <laughs> I said, I'm not looking, ma'am, for skinny jeans, okay, Something less baggy is what I said. So anyway, it really was deflating for me uh, last Christmas. I got a gym membership for Christmas. And, um, and so I'm hoping that this year is going to be just a, a better year. So far, so good. Uh, I, I'm shopping at The Gap now, so uh, just leaving that alone. Uh, but it, it's, been, it's been a great time, and I'm, I'm very excited about Christmas. I look forward to it each and every year. You know, and I've been so thankful, you know, as we kicked off the season here, you know, just for the excitement that comes with, uh, with, with the Christmas season. You know, we, we've decorated the stage, we've decorated the, the lobby, and, and all the music. Hasn't the worship been amazing with all the Christmas carols? Not that it isn't always, it usually always is. I, I shouldn't say usually, that sounds like there's times when it's not, but, but it always is. Our worship team does such a phenomenal job of just leading us in a spirit of, of, of worship in this church, but, but we've, we've been singing the Christmas carols, and it's just been a great time, and, and I, I've, I tell you, I'm really thankful that, that God led us on this path through Romans 8, and that even in the midst of sort of being tempted to put it on hold and, and to go to that, that original Christmas story that we always tell, I'm, I'm glad that God sort of led us to seeing how the Christmas story plays out, even in Romans chapter 8, and so we're continuing through that series uh, now, and we're, we're continuing to just discover so much about who Christ is and, and, and what He's doing for us, and I'm looking forward to today's message as well. So let's pray, and then we're going to dive in God's Word together as we continue our walk through Romans chapter 8. So pray with me if you will. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit of God, Lord, we, we are so thankful for Your presence in this place and in our life, and God, as our worship team has so wonderfully led us through this time of worship, and, and God, we just have had this amazing opportunity to come together as a faith family and to love you, God, because you first loved us. Father, we're thankful for an amazing time of, uh, of just worship through not only music and giving and prayer, but also through the reading and preaching of your word. And, and I pray, Father, that today as we as we look into your word, thinking about the Christmas story and filtering everything through that, that God, you would just bless us beyond measure. Lord, we, we thank you for your presence in our life. We thank you for the purpose and the, the reason for Christmas. That is to celebrate the birth of our Savior. 
And Father, now as we prepare our hearts and our minds to dive into your word, I pray that you would help us to set aside every distraction that may cause us to to not fully hear from you this morning. God, I pray that you would speak deeply into our hearts and that our souls would be stirred. And God, that you would just be honored and glorified in everything that we do. We love you, Lord, and we absolutely praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, last week, uh, as we kind of launched the Christmas season and tied it into Romans chapter 8, we finished up with a passage or a verse of Scripture that is very familiar to every one of us, most every one of us here today, if you grew up in a church. That, that verse of Scripture that we were looking at came from the Gospel of John. It was chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. And most all of us that grew up in church we, we know this verse because we grew up memorizing this one. This was probably one of the first that we memorized. And, and we've said it so many times throughout the years. Maybe even if you have children, even teaching this one to your children and, 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 and the DPK and the other ministries here teaching it to our children. But it's one of those verses of Scripture that, that we say a lot of times, we, we read a lot of times, we recite a lot of times. But, but I pray that it doesn't, lack in its theological understanding from us that it deserves. You know, one of the things that is, is really amazing about John 3.16 is not just that we have memorized it, but it's full of theological significance. And so this morning, I want to begin by reading John chapter 3, verse 16 through 17, as we prepare to dive into our passage of Scripture in Romans chapter 8. Read with me, if you will, these verses. John writes, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. There's a tremendous theological implication that is given to us right here as we consider salvation, as we consider sanctification, as we consider everything it means to walk with Jesus Christ, everything that God is wanting to accomplish in our lives as individuals and as a church. There is so much depth in this this passage that is so familiar to us. And so the temptation for us is to sort of hear this verse and to generalize its meaning, to simplify it to being one of those things that we reserve for our children. And yet in this verse today, I hope that we're going to see that that the reality is that this verse is a springboard into all of the gospel. And it's also one of those that we will use today to sort of tee up the Christmas story as we continue to walk through Romans chapter 8. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. Would you allow that to just sink in this morning? Would you allow that to penetrate your hearts and to stir your souls as we Prepare to dive into God's Word this morning. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. Would you allow that to to speak into your hearts this morning? 
You know, the reality is, is that there's probably many of us here today that aren't feeling very loved. Many of us that uh, know friends and coworkers and family and, and neighbors who, who are living their life, and one of the things that is lacking in their life is feeling loved. We know these people because we have conversations with these people and we talk to them and we pray for them and we encourage them. And maybe this is a reality in some of our lives here today. But the reality is the the scriptures speak of a tremendous love, an unconditional love, an amazing love, one that we have been singing about here this morning and one that we're going to read about and study together today that should absolutely amaze us. And encourage us and empower us. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. His only Son. You know, as we think about that reality, as we think about that truth, I don't know about you, but even as we begin to study this truth, the love of God, as we study the the doctrinal implications of the love of God, there are questions that are going to spring up in our minds. As we prepare for this message today, I wanted to sort of bring a few of these questions to the table because I think it's important. We live in a world today where culturally a lot of people would look at us when we say God is love or we say something like, you know, God loves you, that they would reject that idea maybe because of their own ideas of how they derive it, what the, defi- uh, the definition of, of love is or what the meaning of love is all about. But regardless, we live in a culture today that sort of, sort of rejects this idea. And, 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 you know, there's oftentimes pushback as we begin to process the doctrine of the love of God. And so I wrote down a few of these questions, and I want us to, to think about these questions as we dive into the text today in Romans chapter 8. I want us to think about these, these questions because I know that the reality is is that so many of these questions have filtered through our minds as we consider the love of God in our life. The first question is this, and I remember just writing this one down and thinking about this and, and realizing I needed to try to figure out the answer to this if I'm going to preach on the love of God. The first question is this, why does God love us? Have you ever thought about that? Why is it that God would love us? You know, in our own minds, we have an idea of what we perceive love to be. And oftentimes, we we think about God loving us unconditionally when we ourselves as as human beings typically love conditionally. You know, if you love me, then I'll love you and we'll all get along. You know, if you don't do anything to stab me in the back, I'll love you. If you don't do anything to offend me, I will love you. So we place such conditions on our love. And so it, it, it seems to... to to take us to a place where we begin to think about who God is in all of His holiness, in all of His righteousness, in all of His perfection, and the reality that we are sinners who fall short of the glory of God, and we come to that place in our life where we might ask, why would God love me? Why does God love us? We read passages like is found in Jeremiah 17.9, and it tells us this, that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? The heart is deceitful. Think about that for just a moment. A reality of the human condition. The reality of the human nature. The heart is deceitful. And yet, what we see all through Scripture is God demonstrating His love 
for us. Why would God love us if our heart is deceitful? Romans 5, 8 says this, but God shows his love. There he is, the Bible speaking of him demonstrating his love. God shows his love for us in that while we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. And so here we see a passage where, where God is demonstrating his love. And while we are yet still sinners, he sends his son to die on the cross for our sins. For the atonement, the forgiveness of our sins. 1 John 4.10 says this, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. See, us not even having the capability of loving God without God first loving us. Us not having the ability to, to understand love without Him revealing what love is to us. And yet the Bible tells us in this love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and He sent His Son. And so all of this, as we study it together and as we read through the, the Scriptures together, we begin to ask ourselves, why would God love us? And we filter that through our own understanding of how we love others. Another question that I wrote down, because this is tremendously difficult to, to, to really process. The love of God is not an easy doctrine. In fact, D.A. Carson, he wrote an entire book called The Difficult Doctrine of the Love of God. The Difficult Doctrine of the Love of God. I love what he says about it. He, he talks about postmodernism really standing in our way of understanding the love of God. He says this. He says, The most energetic cultural tide, that is postmodernism, powerfully reinforces an often pluralistic view of the love of God. That is what makes the articulation of the biblical view of love of God an extraordinarily difficult challenge. You see, understanding the love of God is not as easy as it seems it should be. It's just not. Because we don't typically love in the same way that God loves us. We don't typically understand love the way God understands love. We define love much differently than the way God defines love. And so there's that tension between God and man. There's that tension to really understand what love is all about. And, 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 and you know, until we get to that place... When we read a passage like John chapter 3, verse 16, that says, For God so loved the world that He would send His Son to us. Maybe it doesn't have the impact that we know God intends for it to have. And so that's why studying this is so important for us as believers in Jesus Christ, understanding what these verses really mean to us and, and, and how profound they really are to us to, to understand just exactly what they are saying to us. And so, the, so we ask the question, why does God love us? But we also ask this question, what does it mean that God is love? You know, the Bible says this. The Bible doesn't say that God just loves us. The Bible says that not only does God love us, but God is love. God is love. What in the world does that even mean? What does that mean to us as we process everything that God is, as we look at all of his attributes, as we discover what he is, he is about, as we 
meditate on who God is and we try to understand as much as we can understand what God, who God is and what he has done for us, you know, this question, what does it mean that God is love, sort of finds its way to the surface. You see, what we come to understand as we read through the scriptures is that love is one of the core attributes of God's character. Love is part of what God is God is. It just, it's just what he is. God is love. In the same way that God is holy, in the same way that God is, is just, in the same way that God is perfect, and even in the same way that God is wrath, he is also love. And what's remarkable about this attribute of God, this attribute of love that God possesses and is, in the same way, it finds perfect harmony in all of those things. God is love. He is perfect. He is holy. He is just. And he is a God of wrath. And all of those perfectly harmo- uh, find in harmony with one another. And so what an amazing thing, what an amazing truth to discover about who God is. I love what 1 John 4, 8 says. It says, anyone who does not love God does not know God because, there's it, here it is, God is love. Everything about who God is, is love. He defines it. He created it. He is the author of it. God is love. The other verse that comes to mind is 1 John 4, 16. It says this, so we have come to know and to believe the love of God that God has for us. Why? Because God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. You see, when we celebrate Christmas, when we celebrate the meaning of Christmas, it's not just about celebrating Jesus being born in a manger. You see, the nativity isn't the important thing here. The thing that we celebrate is, in essence, This grand love that God has for us to know Him. For God so loved the world that He did what? He gave us the greatest gift of all. That gift of Jesus Christ. How many of you are thankful for that gift in your life this morning? Amen? That God would give us the greatest gift of all. The gift of of Christ Jesus. And so when we celebrate Christmas, it's not just simply Jesus a baby born in a manger. There's great purpose. There's great significance in the reality of why Jesus came. And then here's the third question I wrote down. The first one is, why does God love us? The second one is, what does it mean that God is love? And there's many questions, I think, that derive from this. We could certainly come up with more than this. But here's one that probably has impacted us all. This question has probably resonated with every one of us in this room. It's a question, believe it or not, as your pastor, I've asked myself from time to time. And it's this question. Yeah, God is love, and God so loved the world that he sent his son, but does God love me? Does God love me? You see, when we find ourselves in a situation where we don't like too much, a, a life of suffering maybe, a life of difficult circumstances, a life of, discourage, a life of discouragement, a life of despair. When we find ourselves there, many times our mind begins to wonder, and we begin to wonder, is God mad with me? 
Has God abandoned me? We begin to wonder, you know, is, is God punishing me? We begin to wonder what's going on in our life to bring about this suffering in my life. And it's in those hard times, it's in those moments of despair, it's in those moments of discouragement that as we process that, we begin to ask ourselves, does God even love me? And it's one of those moments in our life where we sure hope that the answer is not no. That's what the enemy would want us to believe, amen? But the reality is the word speaks of a tremendous love that God has for his children. An amazing love that he has for his children. An unconditional love that God has for his children. And so this morning we want to dive into this and and, and the question that I hope that we answer more than any other question for you and for me is the reality or the question that, does God love me? Does God love you? This morning, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn into Romans chapter 8. We're going to begin with verse 31 through 35. And the, the message is titled, Hashtag Love. You know, if you've been with us here for any length of time, you know that we began this series about six weeks ago, and the title of this series is Hashtag Romans 8. Uh, you know, and, and so the, the, the message today is, is titled Hashtag Love, and that's what we want to look at. We want to try in just a few moments that we have left together here this morning, we want to try to come to an understanding of the doctrine of God's love for us, the difficult doctrine of God's love for us. Let me just say this, is that we can't possibly answer all of your questions in just 40 or 45 minutes. I want to encourage you, if you have not been reading through Romans chapter 8, please go back. Go back to Romans chapter 1 and read through this very significant uh, book of, uh, uh, in, in God's Word because it is so challenging, but it is also so informative, and it is life-changing, I promise you. And so dive into Romans chapter 8. Continue through Romans chapter 9 as you study through this amazing book. But here we're going to see this amazing truth that God's Word teaches us today. That God is love. That God loves us. He loves those children. This passage really is one of the demonstrations of God's love. This passage, as we look at it today, I hope that you'll be able to Look at this passage, and as we read it, and as we study it, that you'll be able to say, yes, I see God's love in that. I, I see how God is demonstrating His love for me in this passage. Because I think that's one of the, the strong purposes of this text that we're going to be looking at today. And, and, and the reality is this, is that this text is designed, this passage that we're looking at, is designed in such a way to encourage us, but more than that, to help us to feel secure in the midst of our suffering. One of the things that we're going to notice next week is how this passage that we're looking at today really goes right along with the passage we're going to look at next week. How the two really are joined together. And really this is sort of a part one of, of two, which we'll see part two next week. But, but the purpose, the design, the role of this text in God's word today, is to help us understand how we can feel secure in the midst of suffering. You know, one of the things that we tend to forget sometimes in reading through scriptures, how many of the people, Jesus' followers, 
at the time when these words were written, were suffering great persecution. They were suffering in great ways. And many times these passages of Scripture are taught to us to help us to be strengthened in our faith with Christ Jesus and to be encouraged and to find joy even in the midst of our circumstances. This passage is no different. So read this with me if you will. Romans chapter 8 verses 31 through the first part of verse 35. It says this. What then shall we say of these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who was at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? How many of you find these words already, before we dive into them, highly empowering this morning? Amen? We look at this text and we see things like, if God is for us, who could be against us? And I don't know about you, but man, that just sort of causes you to just be strengthened in this understanding that, that an almighty God is on our side as his children, as, as his people here today, reading this truth from God's word. If God is for us, who could be against us? And, and this is the kind of passage that is tremendously empowering. It is one that strengthens us in the midst of difficult circumstances in our life. It gives us strength that we may overcome our own insecurities because our security is found in who? In God. We read passages and verses like this. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Nobody is capable of bringing us down. We, we read verses like, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And what we're going to see next week is the answer to that is no one or nothing can separate us from the love of God. Empowering, encouraging, uplifting passages from God's Word. And so this morning, we want to dive into this. Everything that we read here and everything that we hear is to prepare us to overcome our own insecurities in this world and to be strengthened by the power of God's Word and ultimately by God Himself. God's design for this truth is to give us boldness and to bring about and establish or reestablish any joy that is lost because of our circumstances. That's what Paul's hoping to do in this passage. That's what God's word is trying to accomplish in this passage. You know, the scripture accomplishes its purpose by basically revealing several truths. And I want to go over these with you this morning as we dive into this. Here's the first truth that I want us to look at this morning together. It, it is the truth of this. The certainty of our salvation is entirely in the hands of God alone. In the hands of God alone. In other words, it is God, and we're going to see this, we're going to see that it is God who condemns and it is God alone who justifies. Justified is another, a very simplistic way of understanding salvation. And so here what we see is the certainty of our salvation is entirely in God's hands. And so for that we are thankful, 
we come to understand as we read the gospel, as we come to understand what the gospel has to say to us, we, we come to realize that it's not by our works that we're saved. We can't do enough good things. We can't earn enough merit to find our way in eternal life with Christ Jesus. We can't do that. There's nothing within us that is inherently good enough to get us into heaven. And so we come to realize as we study the gospel that, that our salvation is entirely in God's hands. But at the same time, as we discover this truth, we begin to realize that this is empowering to us. I, I don't know about you, but, but, but there's a lot of things in my life that just didn't work out when I set my mind to things. Have you ever noticed that? I had a t-shirt growing up that said, been there, wrecked that. You know what I mean? Because it's like I tried it, and, and I tried it in my own strength, I tried it in my own power, and it just didn't pan out the way I thought it would, you know? And so, been there, wrecked that. I wish I still had that one. That was a good one. But, it, but it's one of these things when we look into Scripture here, we, we begin to see, we begin to study that our salvation rests in God's hands alone. And I don't know about you, but I'm okay with that. Because my God is a powerful God. My God is an almighty God. My God is a perfect and righteous God. And He doesn't make mistakes. Amen? He doesn't make mistakes. And so I'm thankful for that. I'm, I'm okay with that. This passage should give us a sense of empowerment. Look at what it says here in the, the second part of 31 in verse 32. If God is for us, who can be against us? Obviously a rhetorical question, but one that leads us to thinking and considering this truth. If God is for us, who can be against us? And then he says this in verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us. Do you see that? He, he says here, he who did not spare his own son, but did what? He gave him up for who? For you and for me. Filtering that truth through what we, what we understand at the beginning of this message for God so loved the world that He sent His only Son as the greatest gift that we ever received. And so here we see this playing out as, as the Apostle Paul is, is continuing to write to the, to the church gathered there in Rome and he, he encourages them, he, he empowers them. And it, it's, it's almost as if Paul knows, much like today, that there are people out there that want to do nothing more than derail someone else's faith in Christ Jesus. We live in a culture today, a culture of immorality and a culture that resists Jesus and pushes back on Christianity and, and exists in hopes that our faith would be destroyed. And so Paul, anticipating this as he's writing to the Romans, he says, listen, I know there's going to be people who don't agree with what you believe in, but if God is for us, who can be against us? Knowing that we have been saved by an almighty God, knowing that we have found hope in, in a Savior named Jesus Christ, if, if He is for us, who can be against us? And I would pray that this Christmas season, as we continue to, to walk through this holiday together that we would be empowered by such passages as this. The second thing that I want to point out is this, is that not only is the certainty of our salvation entirely in the hands of God, but the authority of our justification is in God alone. The authority of our justification. Justification is another way to, to sort of point out 
our salvation. It's much deeper than that. We don't have time to, to dive into that just today. That's another sermon for another day. But, but justification is, is, is very tightly knit to salvation. And here in verse 33, we read these words. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. You see, it is, it is God who brings wrath on sin. And it is God who justifies. Again, revealing to us that our salvation, our justification, our redemption, all of that is entirely in God's hands. And so we see this and we understand this. Who is to condemn us? It is Christ who is the one who died. More than that, he is the one who was raised, who is at the right hand of God and who is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Again, a rhetorical question with the answer being nobody. If condemnation can only come from God, then salvation can only come from God. Justification can only come from God. And here we see in this passage, who is it the one who condemns? A rhetorical question is God. God is the one who is a God of wrath. But he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to be born in a manger only to go to the cross for the atonement of our sins. Why did he send his only begotten son to be born in a manger and ultimately go to the cross? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. God doesn't just love, God is love. And what a powerful, powerful understanding of this we are presented with in, in this passage. You remember how this chapter started when we began this series? You remember what verse we started with? If we're going through Romans 8, it would probably be Romans 8, 1, right? That's where we began. Romans chapter 8, verse 1 is where we begin. Do you remember what this verse teaches us and uh, this verse is, again, so empowering to us, so strengthening to us. It, is, there, it says this, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now that's how this chapter began. And then by the time we get to these verses, if God is for us, who can be against us? Who could possibly separate you from the love of Christ. Here's the thing, and I want you to consider this, and we're almost done as we sort of wrap this thing up, but just consider this for a moment. If you ever find yourself in a place where you find yourself feeling lonely and a place of despair and discouragement, a place of depression, a place of hard times, if you ever find your life in the midst of suffering and you begin to ask the question, does God even love me? Remember this truth, that while you were yet still sinners, Christ died for you. And while you were yet still sinners, Christ died for you. If, if God so loved you that he would send his son to be born in a manger, to go to the cross, to atone for your sins while you're a sinner, then why would you ever believe that there was a reason that God would stop loving you? God loves you. The love of God. It's hard for us to wrap our minds around this because we love in this world so conditionally. Tyler, I don't love you anymore. Why? Well, I just, I just don't, you know. You were mean to me the other day. I, I don't even know what you're talking about. Well, you were mean to me and I just don't love you anymore. 
You see, we, 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 we place such conditions on our love, but God doesn't love like that. While we were still offending God, He sent His Son to die on the cross for our sins. Amen? So we see the power, the truth, the power of God's love for us. This Christmas, as we pause to remember this tremendous love for, that God has for us, I pray that, that this year, as we think about how much God the Father has given to us in the gift of His Son, His only Son, as we think about the tremendous love that God has for us, I pray that we could at least try to love others in the same way. That we could somehow in our own abilities try to demonstrate our love in the way that God demonstrates His. You know, one of the things I love about what we're doing as a church is the missions that we have in, in our community. One of the things that we did this year was we launched a Cross Point Community Center on the south end of town. And, and we launched a ministry there called Bubs. Many of you are part of that ministry on Saturday morning. It's something that goes on each and every. And if you're not and you want to be a part of something like that, you can certainly be a part. Just go to our Next Steps area and they'll teach you or they'll tell you how you can get plugged into to Bubs. But one of the things I love is, is the reality that, that, that we started a ministry there called Bubs. It, it stands for Busted Up Bicycle Shop. And it's a, it's a tool that we have in place to impact the children of that community. And boy, can I tell you that the children are coming in groves. And I can't help but think, as we find ourselves contemplating on the love of God, the love that God has for us, the tremendous love that He has for us, and that yet while we were still sinners, He would send His Son to be born in a manger, to go to the cross pure and unblemished, and to die on that cross only to be buried in a tomb and yet conquer death and conquer sin in three days through His resurrection. As we contemplate that truth, how can we challenge ourselves to give? How can we challenge ourselves to love in the way that God loved, in the way that He gave? You know one of the ways that you can give? It's very simple. Donate an old bicycle to Bubs. We need the parts. Donate a brand new bicycle to Bubs. We can use that bicycle. We can use that bicycle to impact the lives with the gospel message and teach children who are able to walk to that place on a Saturday morning to have work done on their bikes and to interact with the church who loves them. We can use that old bicycle that you have to demonstrate the love of God and to share the gospel that their lives may be changed forever. I don't know about you, but that's a beautiful thing to me. That's a beautiful thing to me. You know, as we bring this message to a close, I, I was thinking about the love of God, and I was, I was looking up this, I was trying to find just that right way to close out the service, and I was looking for a good quote, or I was looking for a good illustration. I was just trying to think of how could I reveal how much God loves for us. And I came across that old children's song that we grew up singing and and then even after we got older and we had children of our own we taught our own kids and it's that song that was written in 1860 by a lady named Anna War uh excuse me Warner Anna Warner 1860 she wrote a song called Jesus loves me this I know 
I love that song. You know, it's not one that I've ever thought as being very deep theologically until this week when I was researching this song. But think about the words of this song here for just a moment, and then I want to sort of wrap this thing up. But the, the lyrics go like this. It goes, Jesus loves me, and I'm not going to sing it for you this morning. I'm sorry. I sing solo. Solo, you can't hear me. But the reality is this song goes like this. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me, for the Bible tells me so. You know, I, I, I read that thought, and I thought, there is no way I'm bringing that to the church as an illustration. Not a little children's song. Then I kept reading into it. And you know, that song was actually written as a song after it was a poem by her sister. Her sister wrote this, this, these words, or at least some of these words, in the form of a poem. It wasn't a song originally. It was a form of a poem. And her sister was ministering to children in their community, and there was a child who was dying. A small child who was dying. What do you tell a child whose life is about to be over? As you minister to children, what, it, what would possibly... You know, I, I know as a pastor, sometimes I have, it, I have such a hard time in, in the midst of such tragedy to come up with the right words. And I just can't imagine this young lady trying to figure out what she's going to tell this child whose life is almost over. And yet she finds a way to come in there and say to this little girl, Jesus loves you. This I know. Because the Bible tells me so. The Bible is very clear that God is not just a loving God. The Bible is very clear that God is love. And as we think about this story, a story with a, where a young lady would try to encourage a small child who was on the brink of death, filter that story through these lyrics as we read them one more time. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to Him belong. They are weak, but He is strong. The reality is, as we approach Christmas this year, some of us are feeling very weak and we are very insecure in where we find ourselves these days. And this letter that was written so many years ago to a church that gathered in Rome was written in such a way to say this, God loves you. And if God is for you, then who could possibly be against you? God loves you, and in your weakness, just remember that He is strong. In your weakness, remember that He is your joy and your hope and your security in all things.
And as you fight back the hardships of this life, remember this reality. That though you may feel from time to time that God doesn't love you, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Empowering passage of Scripture. In just a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to sing this last song. And, and if you'd like to speak to one of our pastors, they're down front waiting for you. They'll be here if you want to come and pray with them. Maybe today, for some of you here today, the, the reality is you don't feel love. Or maybe today you have a neighbor or a friend or a family member who is struggling with feeling love. A, a, a family member who, who doesn't have the same hope that you have that Christ is your everything. Maybe today, in response to God's Word, what we can do as the church, as, the, as a faith family, is come and pray for those, lift up those whom we know who are struggling throughout the Christmas season. Christmas should be a time of joy for each and every one of us. Christmas should be a time of blessing for each and every one of us. And no matter what we are going through Throughout the month of December, Christ is still and always will be our hope. He is our joy. And He is the one that sustains. And He is the one that secures in the midst of it all. And so let us, this morning as we stand and sing this last song, let us as the church be the church that responds to God in such an amazing way by saying, God, we love you because you first loved us us let's pray father thank you for your love and god thank you for just the blessing of of just knowing you god for every one of us here today as a child of god lord we we have been to that place where we were certain of the reason that you sent your son to die on the cross for us and we were certain that it was to atone for our sins, to restore us into a right relationship with you, that we would find redemption through Christ Jesus and ultimately righteousness, and that God, our hope would be solidly built upon the message that you loved us, that we may love you. God, we love you this morning. We praise you and we thank you, God, for all that you are. We thank you for your word that encourages and strengthens and empowers and, and emboldens us to live out this life. No matter if these days are the happiest days of our life or these days are the toughest days and the darkest days of our life, God, we will stand here today and we will not allow our circumstances to define our joy. But we will lean upon our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, knowing, God, that you love us. This is a truth that we know because you gave us the greatest gift of all. You gave us the gift of your only Son. So, Father, we love you, we praise you, we worship you in the name of Jesus.